All right. Um, yeah, if you haven't been listening to the, what it means to be a Christian, uh, there's all the CDs are available, or all the sermons are available online uh, at the sermons place to listen to for free. Uh, but this will be the last one in that series. Um, so when I talk about what it means to be a Christian, you know, for me, what it means, and it's right there, it's the first little dot on there, it's going to church, right? So I know I'm on a roll here with this. Uh, you know, in church, church is weird, right? I mean, okay, this is a 2,000-year-old institution, everybody. Y'all know that, right? Like, so here we are. This is, this is an old thing. We've been doing church for a long time. But have you ever just wondered why church is the way it is? Just kind of dive in, really think about it. You know, church began with the, the Great Commission. Right before Jesus ascended, he told his disciples to go and make disciples, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they did just that. The disciples, they spread the gospel throughout the known world, and according to church history, most of them were killed for it. You know, the church grew through a really terrible persecution. That's how it started, was when Jesus ascended, those disciples went and they were, I mean, they were persecuted. You know, but something historic happened in 325 AD. The church became the institution of church. It became a bona fide religion. And you know what great, awesome moment we have to commemorate this event? I, that's what I like is some feedback. Thank you. Get your amens ready, too. The moment was a gathering of hundreds of church leaders who got together to decide if God was one or if God was three. It was called the First Council of Nicaea. There were seven ecumenical councils that happened throughout church history that you know, were establishing uh, these doctrines. But it was the, the first time that you know, they got together and they made a decision that God was three and that... Like that's what it was. God was three, and they condemned, and in some cases, literally anybody that disagreed with them. The church was established as a main religion when a group of men got together and decided what was allowed and what wasn't. You know, basically, what had happened was there was a man named Arius, and he was from Egypt. And Arius, you know, this is a time right. There was no solidified doctrine, and this guy in Egypt. He's thinking about the nature of God, Jesus, the only begotten son. And his thought was the only begotten son of God. I mean, it is a mind-blowing thought, right? I mean, if you really think about God becoming flesh and who Jesus was, he was just pondering the man. And he thought, I wonder, you know, Jesus was begotten. Was he begotten at some point in time or was he always eternal with the father? Like that was the, that was the thought. And it caused this first great council and the condemnation of that train of thought. And I'm not trying to say that the church, you know, was, uh, you know, wrong. In the, I'm not trying to say they got it wrong in that decision. But I don't think God was, or even is, offended when we think about him in those kinds of ways. Amen. You know, wondering about the nature of God and desiring to know him more isn't something that he discourages. Right. You know, the, the church was powerful up until that point. It really was. It was a really powerful thing. And then it became a bona fide religion, and no one had agreed on any universal doctrine. There was no consensus of belief. There wasn't even a Bible. You know, this was the beginning of the church practice of conformity is going to equal unity. You know, hear what I'm saying there? 
the beginning of the practice that you have to conform, and that'll, that will make us a unified church. That was, the, that was the desired outcome, was a globally unified church. And the result was Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Protestantism. That theology, that doctrine, all of that stuff, that has, uh, those have been key doctrines from the now more than 33,000 different denominations in Christendom. So it's obvious to me that conformity doesn't necessarily equal unity when you see the church split over 33,000 times. So we've seen church for so long in this 325 AD Rome that wants to bring unity through conformity instead of through the church of Pentecost. You know, where the disciples labored to bring the gospel to the world in an effort to get their friend and Lord that they knew to come back and be among them again. You know, if we looked like the very first church, what do you think church services would look like now? I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, I mean, there's a lot of different, if you go to different churches, there's a lot of different liturgies and things. Like, uh, has anybody been to a Catholic mass? I'm telling you that I love some things about the mass. And I feel like the mass was like the, uh, the replication of what was a really freaking awesome church service once that it just happened and everybody was like, whoa, that needs to happen every time. I mean, people were, people were standing and they were sitting and they were kneeling and there was people reading the word and there was people, you know, bringing the word. I mean, there was just a lot that happens. Uh, you know, I love it. Like when I think about all the different kinds of denominations, right? Like, uh, you know, that, that split, you know, another split from the church that happened was the topic of transubstantiation. Y'all know what that means? So that's the belief that the body and blood, that when we take communion, the, body and the, the bread and wine literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. And it's not figurative, it's literal. And I mean, it's a whole thing. And there's people in this church that believe that it does happen, and there's people in this church that believe that it doesn't happen. But that's okay. We don't all have to have the same ideals, and we don't have to make everybody agree like we believe in order to be right. But I'll tell you, I love it in the Catholic Mass whenever they're taking communion or the Eucharist, and he holds it up and he goes, through him, in him, with him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Then he breaks it, snap! It's like, whoa, like Jesus, like, freaking love it. I really do. It's awesome. It's the most, it's so powerful to me. You know, more church was built out of a desire for more of God. Been here for 20 years. We're not in the business of replicating a good church service and trying to put it into a formula. And you'll find that out today because I'm not the main preacher. And if you're visiting for the first time, please come back. (laughs) Next week is going to be weird too because it's going to be a ministry service. So it's not going to be a normal Sunday either. We're also not in the business of conforming this congregation to a certain belief system. We're just not. You know, we follow Jesus. Oh, shoot. All right. All right, here we go. Yeah, I did exactly what you said I was going to do when I did this. My wife's so smart, she helps us with the slides. And, yeah. You know, we follow Jesus. We're an interdenominational church. That means as long as you believe Jesus is Lord, you can be a part of this church. 
There's a lot of varying beliefs in this body, but it doesn't scare God. He's not afraid of the fact that some of us may think certain things and others think another thing. The disciples didn't always agree, and they lit the world on fire. And they would argue among themselves, they would argue with God, and Jesus was never offended at them. He never gave them dire warnings that they had to get in line where they all believed the same thing. You know, the objective of Jesus' coming was that, the, if the objective of Jesus' coming was that the church would have a conformed theology, he wouldn't have spoken to his disciples in only parables. Jesus had a catchphrase that he said (laughs) when he was on the earth a lot. He who has ears, let him hear. He said it it seven times in the gospel. And this is an invitation from Jesus himself to examine his words and find deeper meaning with him. And so the meaning that Peter got from Jesus' parables could be different from John's. And Jesus invited that. He didn't say, he he didn't try to lay it out that here's exactly what you need to be doing. He was okay with it. He said, if you have ears, you could hear. You know, in Mark 4, he, he breaks away from his catchphrase a little bit, and he says it like this. He's, it's kind of at the bottom. Uh, well, it's kind of, never mind. So he says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is an invitation from Jesus himself for us to go after more. And he says it right there. If you want more, guess what? There is more to give. And if you have a little bit of understanding and you're not listening, it's just going to, it'll shrink away. You know, this is the reason we are here. What more can we understand? What more can we receive? You know, and in being a Christian, I think that when we go to church, it's important for us to kind of take this heart and to answer this call from the Lord. So let's look at the parable right before this, when Jesus told his disciples this. And it's a short one. Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's her. That's her catchphrase. This parable to me was always about not hiding your faith. Right, everybody? But as I begun seeking more as to what, what this means, you know, it's funny, it's right after that, he's like, listen, there's more. Yeah. Understand, there's more. Dive into this, there's more. And so I'm reading, what, what did you just say, Jesus? And so I'm reading this again. And he, the Lord showed me this. He said, you know, the light we have is not meant to be an investigative tool. We don't need to be trying to shine it under anyone's bed. We don't need to be trying to shine it in anybody's dirty laundry basket. Our light is meant to be on a lampstand. Let the light be there. You don't need to try and turn your light on your lampstand into a searchlight. You know, 
this is, and it's like, oh, wow, I just have to carry him wherever I go? Thank you, Lord. I can do that. That's easy. You know, his, his burden is light, you know. You know, you don't have to be divisive for the sake of being right. And say, you don't have to be divisive for the sake of being right. Jesus didn't have to make sure he, everyone knew he was right, and he was the only person who ever was. I don't think it was the disciples' excellent grasp of theology and properly held doctrines that enabled them to fulfill the Great Commission and completely change the world. It wasn't that they had everything really lined up and they knew exactly what they needed to make everybody believe and conform to. You know, in Mark 9, they started down this path of wanting to do that, though. Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is for us. And he goes on to say, I didn't put this in here, but he says, even if you give a cup of water in my name, you'll have your reward. Because this man wasn't following them. Not, he didn't say, Je- he wasn't following us, Jesus. Not that he wasn't following you. He wasn't following us. He was, he's not with us. And Jesus said, stop it. They thought it was their duty to stop him from doing works in the name of Jesus. And he wasn't just telling people about Jesus. He was ministering. He was casting out demons. And they're, I mean, they're mind blown. They're like, no, he can't do that. God told his disciples to leave him alone. Let him do it. He's not against us. He's for us. You know, the disciples were told not to go down that path of conformity. So why? (laughs) You know what they were told to do? You know what Jesus told them right after the Great Commission? Go and wait on the Holy Spirit. Go and wait on the Holy Spirit. You do know that we're no different from the disciples, right? Yes. The only difference I could think of between me and them, between us and them, is that they actually knew the man Jesus. They actually knew him. And he had to be the most magnetic, just... I mean, you think about knowing the man, Jesus. I mean, he walked up to guys, they follow me, and they're like, do it, and just left. Just quit, just done. Like, you had to have some serious magnetism. He had to have been like the coolest guy you've ever met. I mean, you know those people, you ever met those people that are just like the coolest people, everyone wants to be their friend? I mean, that was Jesus. He was awesome. And these men knew him. So I think about it, and I'm like, okay, Lord, why does the Holy Spirit just give me tingles and their Holy Spirit raise people from the dead? <laughs> like, come on. The only difference I could think of is they knew him. They really knew him. You know, John, <laughs> Jesus blesses those who believe him without seeing. It's in, the, you know, it's in John, he says, he says, blessed are the, it's easier for you because you've known me, but blessed are those that believe me without seeing. 
That's a blessing on y'all. I mean, from Jesus himself, from, from that man, he blessed all of you for believing without seeing. Thank you, Lord. You know, we approach God so many times like he's there and I'm here. And we think we have to go and plead our case before him, hoping that he's going to answer favorably. And I think it's just this, it stems from this Old Testament understanding of who God is. You know, we think that he's only accessible in the most holy place and only at a certain time. And I have to have performed and hopefully he'll accept me and he won't just strike me down and kill me. You know, we approach God like that. I mean, we do. We think, for some reason, we think that the God-man Jesus, who is sent to save the world and not condemn, condemn it, has now ascended into heaven, and then suddenly he just took on the Old Testament attributes of God. The Old Testament attributes of a jealous God that's just ready to mow down anybody that hasn't conformed. Jesus didn't do that. You know, since God doesn't change... And since Jesus is eternal, along with the Father, the man Jesus who walked the earth still has not changed. God the Father is still the jealous God of the Old Testament whose very presence can't tolerate sin. God hasn't changed. But Jesus became sin and covered all of us with his blood so that we can now be one with him and the Father. This is why we're able to simply just be light. Because Jesus took care of it. We don't, we don't have to approach God in that way. The jealousy of God the Father was fulfilled in God the Son. And it was God's love. It was God the Father's love that sent Jesus. He loved the world so much. And he said, I'm making a way where there isn't a way. You know, the love of the Father is Jesus. And the love of God paid the cost of our sin and our shortcomings. And our, now, our task is now to simply... Be light and to wait on the Holy Spirit, just like the disciples. You know, I've put, I've had this kind of thing going and I've messed around with my slides a lot as we were getting ready for this. And, you know, one of the things that I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, really hit me is, you know, like God the Son is really, you know, God the love. Like, that was just, I mean, I don't know. I think we, we approach God in so many different ways sometimes that he was really kind of shifting my paradigm of my understanding of really who he is, you know, as the Trinity. You know, he gives, the father gives a promise in Isaiah, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Jesus was God with the disciples, but the man Jesus, he's, He's not physically here. But Jesus knew it would be hard for us who did not know him personally. So he did what he always does. He blesses us and he made a way to know him through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. To actually know him. He didn't leave us in the lurch. You know, when he ascended, he knew what we needed. And what we needed, you know what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit? He calls it the Comforter. Yeah. And this is such an apt description because being a Christian means we don't have to approach God uh, as there and we're here. Jesus gave us 
the, the aspect that we get to approach God is through comfort in the Holy Spirit. And that's a, different, that's a totally different paradigm than trembling going into the Holy of Holies. You know, when I looked up the definition of comfort, and I put all of them up there because to me, the Lord just knew exactly what he was saying. You know, the Holy Spirit, the, the state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint, the Holy Spirit, things that, that contribute to physical ease and well-being. The Holy Spirit, you know, prosperity and the pleasant lifestyle secured by it. The Holy Spirit, easing or alleviation of a person's feelings of grief or distress. The Holy Spirit, a thing that helps to alleviate a difficult situation. I mean, wow, like, that's, Jesus said, I'm going to make a way for you to know me. And it's going to be this. This is how you're going to know me. And you just have to wait. Wait on the Holy Spirit. You know, growing up, I was taught that the Holy Spirit was just like the messenger between the Father and the Son. But the disciples of Jesus, but as disciples of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is actually the fulfillment of the promise in Isaiah of God with us. The Holy Spirit, it's a fulfillment of a promise. Jesus coming to the earth was the fulfillment of the promise, but the Holy Spirit, I mean, that God is with us through the Holy Spirit every day, right now. Sorry, this is where the paper is going to throw me off. You know, God with me. <laughs> I've had this deal, you know, I talked about, you know, God the Father. I didn't actually put this slide in there. I should because it will make sense. But, you know, it was God the Father, God the love. And in the, just in the past couple months, he's been God the brother to me. The Holy Spirit, I'm thinking like, oh, like. He's with me. He's not, you know, I'm not sitting there praying to God, Lord, make this change and, you know, wanting the, you know, trying to approach God as like there. It's been, Lord, here, you know, together, here we go. You know, and it's just, it's been such a paradigm shift. And I just feel like the Lord is really challenging us to uh, invite the Holy Spirit into a place in our lives um, that maybe we've never Asked him in before. So, we're all just human, right? And I'm going to get a little, this is going to be a little funny because uh, <laughs> we're all flesh and blood, but with the, with the breath of life, you know, we have spirit, right? That's the thing that makes us unique on the earth is we have spirit. And, you know, so what better way to show spirit than with a pie chart? That makes perfect sense, right? All right. You know, we often, some people try to define, we define spirituality in weird ways. Some people say, oh, I'm not very spiritual. Oh, they're really spiritual. We're, we're all spiritual. We all have the breath of life in us. You know, our spirit man is made up of our thoughts, our beliefs, and our faith. <clears throat> our faith. And being human is a big part of our human nature. Uh, you know, as... Uh, being human, a big part of our nature is that things dominate our thoughts about being human. 
You know, as human, a part of our spiritual journeys and our nature of being human is that the spiritual man will always have things in it that are human needs. You know, spiritually, we're always going to have these things. And Jesus was no exception, y'all. Jesus, you know, and there was a whole ecumenical council about this topic too, okay? So, you know, was he, was he 100% God or was he 100% man? And that, that, that was the answer. That's what they came up with. And that was, you know, fourth, fourth ecumenical council. Good job. This is, Jesus was the only person in the world that's ever had a spirit man that looked like this. You know, he had the things of man as a human. And he had 100% the Holy Spirit. Nobody else has ever looked this way. Some people think they look this way. Jesus is the only one that ever did. You know, and I know it says 100% Holy Spirit on 50% of the side, but don't, yeah, yeah, thanks. I know, it was the whole thing. I was like, I don't, this is why pie charts were the perfect choice for this whole thing. You know, yeah, this whole thing caused a split though, Didi. Did you know that? that? The whole thing, it was a fully God or fully man. It split and the whole Oriental church split away from uh, the Catholic church in 451. That's when this one happened. You know, because people didn't conform to that. I mean, you think about this and I mean, I know that uh, some people think, well, it's a huge deal and some people probably think it's not a big deal. But the whole point is, you know, all that we're doing when we bring conformity, y'all, and we're trying to make everybody believe exactly like we believe, it's, it's not worth it. So, I want to talk about what we look like a little bit. When we encounter Jesus, oh, so sometimes when we're born, for this, we do this all from, from the day we're born, we invite, or maybe even our parents or our family or our friends, have introduced familiar spirits into our lives. Yeah. You know, we're filling this side of our nature from birth, and they come in all shapes and forms. Some of these things are sinful things. Some of these things are just not from God, but we excuse them because it's just the way we are, you know, or it's, it's just the way I was taught, or that's just the way I grew up. And they seem okay because they're so familiar to us. You know, and oh, that's not that big of a deal. Anyway, and a common one would be, you know, religious spirits. And if you, grow up in a re- if you grew up religious, it would be easy to allow those things uh, because they aren't typically sinful. But they can turn into it whenever, whenever my righteousness has to be the standard that you need to conform to. You know, it's cyn- you become cynical and prideful and, and you've got to control everything. You know, and that's been prevalent through history of, of church. Yeah. But that's not fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, and the real problem with familiar spirits is that they become so familiar to us that when we encounter somebody else's life and we see their familiar spirits and it's so, you know, not familiar to me, we are like so offended. Like, how would you, how could you let that in? And we've all got our own little things that are like around us and we look at other people's and it scares us. And we don't know how to do it. And so we just think, oh, well, they need to, they need to live to this standard that I've somehow built around myself. And 
you know, we've done it since 325 AD as a church, and we still do it now. You know, when we encounter Jesus, though, and he becomes Lord of our life, suddenly something that was there gets ripped out. And I believe every, everybody that goes through salvation deals with this. They, they encounter Jesus, and suddenly, boom, God rips something out that needs to be gone. And his Holy Spirit comes in. You know, but as time goes on, what do we do with this? When our, when our spiritual capacity, when we, when we look like this, what happens? You know, does it, does it just dwindle? Do we think it balloons up and I'm going to become 100% Holy Spirit? And what do we do with it? And why do we even treat it? What? <coughs> this is why the pie chart was a bad idea, y'all. Why even treat it as a piece of the pie? Because if we think we can take the Holy Spirit and just, oh, put it in when we need him and pull him out when we don't and try to fit him in whatever corner we want to fit him in, are we really, is that really God with us? You know, the Holy Spirit isn't just a wedge for us to fit into our lives at our convenience. We give, you know, the invitation from Jesus is constant communion with him. You know, no one will ever have 100% Holy Spirit like Jesus, but that doesn't mean that he can't be a part of every aspect of our lives. So this is what I think people probably look more like. I don't think it's so pretty. You know, I think the, the real deal is we just have to invite him in. I think there's times we treat him like that wedge and we want him to come into this part but we know there's this whole other section we've never asked him to come into, and we don't really want him in there, so we're just going to keep it partitioned, and he's there. And, you know, but I think that the invitation, you know, you're not going to scare God away. You know, he's not a piece of the pie. He's, the Holy Spirit is the uh, anamorphous blob that will fill the hole. It'll take whatever shape is what that means. God's not scared. He's not scared to come and meet you. He's not scared of your familiar spirit. Right. He's not. He'll go into the darkest parts and he'll find a place to, 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 to get in. We just have to invite him. And truthfully, I think when we become, you know, a more maturing Christian... I think, I think this is what we end up kind of look like, is, is everybody's a hot mess, y'all. <laughs> God has promised each one of us this great gift. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't just like a, uh, you know, eh, some people get it, some people don't. God just, you know. You know, this is going to be, I mean, life with Jesus is unlike anything you've ever experienced before. You know, abundant life. You know, communion with God the Father. Approaching your life with him as your brother, as your, as your companion, as God with you. And not approaching life through, you know, the, the you know, self-righteous but humble servant, you know. All it takes is an invitation. I want you to just have faith that he'll do it. And I'm going to try to go fast. I'm sorry, I'm going a little longer than I thought. I'm almost done. Uh, the point is, is that it's up to us. 
That's why the invitation is so important. You know, and I wanted to go back to this slide because I wanted to illustrate how there's always still more. You know, my wife, I love you, you're awesome. Her, I asked her what her interpretation of this parable was, right? Just curious. <coughs> I love what she said, you know, to her, she says that by being light, the things that are hidden in our lives, not sin, not shortcomings, but good things, the things God has concealed from us, as in Proverbs, you know, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and a glory of kings to search it out. Like the good things, the things that are hidden are going to come to light. I'm like, whoa, like. And we're, we're so focused on sin. We're so focused on all this. I mean, it's like you just, if you can drop it for a second, there's more, y'all. Yeah. There's so much more. So I'm going to invite the ministry team to come up. I believe that the Lord has so many good things for each one of you. Remember what the Holy Spirit is, y'all. The Holy Spirit's the comforter. And that doesn't mean everything in life is going to be comfortable, but it means that he is here to comfort us, no matter what the circumstance is. He's here to alleviate the situation. He's here to give us exactly what we need. And he will come. You know, we've been singing this song for a few weeks that's, uh, we make way, we make room. That's what I'm, that's what the pie chart was trying to show. You've got to make way for him. You've got to make room for him. You invite him to come. And he will. He promises that he will. So, I just want to invite, I just want to, I just feel like the Lord has, you know, and just, I don't know, my heart's been breaking a little bit because I just feel like there's so many people that need him. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just come into this room right now, Lord. And I pray that you would encounter our hearts. I pray, God, that you would just fill us up, God, and that you would bring peace, God. And once again, Lord, that you would destroy the work of the enemy in this place. God, I pray that you would just help us to grow in who you are, Lord, and to help us to just love one another, God, and just to be your light in the world. And we just pray that you would, God, just continue to make ways where there doesn't seem to be a way. Lord, we trust you. We thank you for the promise, God. We thank you that you didn't just leave us in the lurch and we have to figure this out on ourselves. We thank you that it's not up to our performance. We thank you that we don't have to go and, and make anybody conform to anything that we can just be your light in the world. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I want to thank you all for coming. If you need prayer, uh, there's some up here that will pray with you. Um, God bless.